0: Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community founder, Pastor John Ferguson, as we continue our series, Decision 2016. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. I don't know about you, but every time I hear that, uh, I felt that bumper. I feel like I should be like a news reporter, you know, at the at the at the desk giving to report the evening news. anybody anybody feel that way? <laughs> okay, I thought so. Good. Um, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Community, and uh, I'm so glad that you uh, chose to celebrate with us this morning. Uh, no place I'd rather be than than right here uh, with you uh, on this uh, this summer Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to start off today with a, a pretty heavy question, okay? Are you ready? Give me a nod of the head just so I know you're awake, you're alert, you're with me. Pretty heavy question. Are you ready? All right, looks like, looks like I'd say about 75% of you are with me, all right? Uh, the question is this, if you knew today was your last day, what would be your dying request? If you knew today was your last day, what would be your dying request? I told you it was heavy, didn't I? All right, think about that. Now, I got to say, you know, as a lifelong Chicago Cub fan, I would be so ticked. If today was my last day, I mean, you know, to not be able to experience this summer of baseball and know that we're going to win the World Series like we're going to win the World Series, right? Are you with me? Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. <laughs> this week was just a blip, right? Please tell me that it was just, just a little bump in the road, right? Okay. We're going we're to get there still. But, you know, in some ways it would be sort of like uh, predictable, wouldn't it, for a Cubs fan to die right now? Oof. Mm. I know, I'm shallow, sorry. Uh, but even as much as I love the Cubs, I will admit that I do have a few last requests that are a little more substantive <laughs> than even watching the Cubs win the World Series, as important as that is to me. But I want to ask you, did you know that Jesus, did you know that Jesus actually had a last dying request? Jesus actually had a last dying request of sorts. Uh, One of his closest followers, John, recorded it in a book about Jesus' life. And in this selection, it's right before Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's about to die and suffer excruciating pain. John records a prayer that Jesus prayed to his father. And I would see this prayer as sort of his last dying request, if you will. And and here's what Jesus says in this prayer. And you can follow along on the screen here. He says, I'm praying not only for them. Okay, let's just kind of pause right there. I'm praying not only for them. Because when Jesus says them in this last dying request prayer, he's actually talking about his closest followers, those disciples that were with him at that time, okay? But then he says, I'm not only praying for them, but also for those who will believe in me, okay? He also says those who will believe in me, Because of them and their witness about me. Now, when he talks about those who will believe in me, guess who he's talking about now? Yeah, that's right. He's talking about us. Not only is he talking about his disciples, his closest followers that were with him at that time, he's also talking about us. His last dying request, his final prayer is about us. And what was he praying for? Well, let's find out. He says, the goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and one mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. His last dying request is that we might be one, that we will be one heart and one mind as God is one with Jesus. So that why? So that the world would actually believe. If we're one, then the world is actually going to believe that Jesus was sent by God to the world. Now let that sink in for a minute, okay? Okay? Don't kind of just let that go in one ear and out the other. Let that sink in, because as Jesus faced death, the primary desire of his heart, the greatest concern on his mind is that we would be unified, that we would be, help me out, we would be That's right, what? And yet I think we'd have to agree that we have so far to go when you look around our world, our nation, our country, our city, we see so much that isn't one, don't we? And today we're, going to talk about, today we're going to talk about a difficult topic, one that's complex, it's systemic, it has divided us for centuries. Of course it is, are you a Cub fan or are you a Sox fan? Which do you cheer for? No, we're not going to talk about that today. But today we're going to talk about the very serious subject of racism. Racism. And for some, you know, racism, it's a reality that we face every single day. And for others, it's pretty easy to go through life without really thinking about race, but you see, if we hope to really see Jesus' last dying request fulfilled, we have to confront the issue of racism. I you know, racism isn't something that just happened back in the days of slavery or lynching or in the civil rights era. It's alive and well today. Maybe you saw this just a few weeks ago. The New York Times published a survey. I don't know if you saw this. In the, I think it was in the Tribune as well. But the survey revealed that 60% of whites believe that their Chicago neighborhood is a good or excellent place to live compared to only 28% of blacks. of whites believe that their neighborhood is an excellent or good place to raise kids compared to 28% for blacks. 49% of blacks say that a young person in their neighborhood is very likely to be a victim of violent crime compared to only 19% of whites. 49% compared to 19% say that their young people are likely to be the victim of a violent crime. Imagine that. Almost half. And so the segregation of our city, I mean, leaves black families and white families with very different experiences. And we're all probably aware of the public debate around race and law enforcement, but without even touching on that topic, there are countless other examples of how race continues to play a role in everyday activities. And Nicholas Kristof has written a series of articles for the New York Times also called When Whites Just Don't Get It. And in it, he shared the following research He said that sending a resume with a stereotypically white name, say like Brendan, increases the likelihood of a callback by 50% over using a stereotypically black name, say like Jamal. 50%. Increases the likelihood of a callback by 50%. Uh, When blacks and whites go in person to rent or buy properties, blacks are shown significantly fewer options. When an iPod is sold online, if the hand holding it is white, it receives 21% more offers than when an iPod is held by a black hand. 21% more offers, simply based on the color of the hand that's holding the iPod. Let's make it more personal. Think about your own relationships Um, Comedian Chris Rock says, he says, We live in a crazy time when Dr. King and Mr. Mandela's dreams are coming true. Everyone's hanging out together. All my black friends have a bunch of white friends. And all my white friends have one black friend. Current research tells us that Chris Rock is spot on for every 100 friends. Interesting graphic here. If you can take a minute just to kind of zone in on that. For every 100 friends, whites are likely to have one black friend, whereas blacks are likely to have eight white friends. For every 100 friends, whites are likely to have one black friend, whereas blacks are likely to have eight white friends. And, you know, race isn't just something that happens out there. It happens to people in here. And it isn't only black people who are impacted. It's all people of color. It's all people of color. Uh, so i well, tell you what, let's, let's hear from some of our own family uh, right here at Community. Watch
1: this. Hi, my name is John Ross, and I'm from the south side of Chicago. I experienced racism a lot when I was a kid. Um, but I thought that by the time that I got to college in 1999, that racism would be like done and over with. Um, in my first year of college, I was taking a film tech one class. And in, in film school, um, the whole objective is to learn how to work together as a group. The first day of school, nobody would talk to me. I was the only African American in class. Nobody would even smile at me, nobody would look at me. Every time I would try to you know, form a group of people, they wouldn't work with me at all. And so that first semester of my film school, that I had to do all my projects by myself. Not only that, but when I would do the projects and I would turn my film into the film cage, my film always got mysteriously lost. And I just, I didn't understand what was going on. And so that prompted me to talk to the professor at the time. He said that, you know, I can't say that it's this and I can't say that it's that. But what I will say is that because you're an African-American male, you have to work that much more harder in, in order to succeed in the film industry. Um, racism still exists. And if you want to make it, it's just the way that the, the game goes.
2: In high school, uh, my name was Lupe Herrera. My mom had decided to bus us to an all-girls Catholic high school where we attended and the first three months of the high school was a bad experience I would be picked up and tossed across the lockers uh, they would say we don't want your kind here and they would walk away and then that would be the norm uh, so any anytime that we would walk through the hallways after the bell rang have to make sure we were in class, because if you weren't in class, you would be the one, if you're Latin, to be picked up and thrown against lockers, and that was me.
3: My name is Eddie. I was uh, born and raised in Hawaii. My parents were immigrants from Korea. They moved right before I was born. And uh, I remember a particular event. My dad and I were on a tennis court. I was probably in elementary school. Uh, We were playing. There was another father-son pair waiting to play. That father eventually got impatient and started to get into with my dad about, hey, your time is up. You should move on. And my dad said, no, we're we're actually fine. And then this other person uh, dropped the line. Well, if you could speak the language and read, you would know that it was time for you to move on just a number of different emotions about it also angry, also frustrated and also a little confused because I knew my dad's story um, could speak three or four languages pretty well you know, I spoke Korean, spoke Japanese, spoke German his English had a thick accent with it but you know, he could very easily read and write he was a district attorney in Korea and gave up that kind of professional uh, white collar career to take on a blue collar job in the US for a better opportunity for my brother and I All of what he was experiencing, the frustration that he was having with that other gentleman, and his inability to articulate all of what was actually going on was a pretty poignant memory that I have. You know, we're in the middle
0: of uh, this series, uh, Decision 2016, that's all about the most important decision we will ever make, and it's the decision to follow Jesus, And that's where this kind of all comes together because Jesus tells us that the decision to follow him, if you remember, we've been looking at this passage from Luke chapter nine says that, you know, we will turn from our selfish ways. We will take up our cross, which means we are willing to carry the burdens that Jesus carried, right? And then it means we are committed to be on a journey of becoming more and more like him. And so as we face this this topic of racism, I think we have to ask ourselves, how would Jesus engage with this issue? How would his... Behavior reflect what it means to be him? What would his posture be? What would he do? And the answer is that Jesus would build bridges. There's no question about it. Jesus would build bridges. You know, Jesus' life was all about building bridges. And so I want to I tell you one of my favorite stories from his life, a bridge-building story from Jesus' life. Uh, the gap between Jesus and this particular person that he encountered in this story that I want to tell you about was really massive, Or as one particular political candidate would say, it was huge. (laughs) That is the only political comment I will make today, I promise you. So tempting. Jesus is traveling through Samaria. Samaria, okay, remember that. He's traveling through Samaria when he meets a woman. And the cultural gaps between them is enormous. Enormous. There's a racial gap, all right? Jesus was Jewish and this woman was a Samaritan. Jewish people and people from Samaria. I mean, they, they absolutely hated each other. I mean, if you take a look at a map, we have a map we're going to put on the screen here. And it's a map from Jesus' day, and it's a little bit small. But if you look at it closely, you'll see that the orange part here on top, all right, that's the area around Galilee where Jesus spent most of his time, all right? And then if you look at the pink area down below, this is the area around Jerusalem, okay? Both of those are parts of Israel, the northern region and the southern region. And the gray area in between is Samaria, The villages of Samaria were right in the middle of Israel, and the shortest distance to go from the northern region of Israel to the southern region would obviously be what? To go through this gray or sort of bluish region, right? But you know what people from Israel would do? Instead of traveling straight down to the southern region or straight up to the northern region, they would go all the way over to this yellow region over here so they wouldn't have to risk coming into contact with a person from Samaria. I mean, the racial gap was massive, Then as a Jewish male, there was also a gender gap. I mean, it was culturally unacceptable for a Jewish man to speak to a woman in public. Jewish men would only speak to women in the privacy of their own home, never in public. On top of this, it was around noon when Jesus crossed paths with this woman. And women of that day would usually get their water early in the morning or later in the afternoon, so as to avoid the hot midday sun... And the fact that this woman was alone getting water in the middle of the day says that she was an outcast. No doubt, she was trying to avoid anybody and everybody. And later we discovered that she was an outcast because she had been with several men, which only resulted in another gap, a religious gap, because no religious leader in that time would have anything to do with a woman with this kind of reputation. So just stop for a moment, okay? Just, just Pause, if you will, and think about what it was like for this woman. Put yourself in her sandals, if you will. I mean, she was aware, very aware, of all these cultural gaps. So imagine you are her, and you're approaching this well, and you see a man alone. You wish you could avoid him, but you desperately need water. You hope you'll be ignored, but you fear something worse, acknowledgement, recognition, maybe even humiliation, I mean, can you just kind of feel your, your anxiety increasing as you get closer? Can you feel that? Think about what it was like for her. And then what did Jesus do as she hurried to get her water? you remember? What did he do? That's right. He asked her for a drink, didn't he? Might not seem like a big deal. But it was absolutely shocking because in an instant, Jesus just plows through every single barrier, puts himself in the place of need, right? crosses every single cultural gap, and builds a bridge. He builds a bridge. Now, so much happened here that we don't have time to get into all the details, but let me say this, but by choosing to build a bridge, Jesus helped this woman find her way back to God, and then in turn, she helped her entire village find their way back to God. Sounds a little bit like that prayer that he prayed for unity so that people would know that he was from the Father. You see, every time Jesus faced barriers that divided, he chose to build bridges. Every single time he faced barriers that divided, he chose to build bridges. And as followers of Jesus, he asks us to build bridges as well. He challenges us to be bridge builders. Hmm, so how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, I think it starts with getting honest about our own struggles with racism. I really do. I think it begins with us beginning to get real with our own struggles with racism. And I love uh, how author and pastor Bill Hybels explains it. And I want you to kind of walk with me through this, if you will, okay? I think this is really helpful. Hybels says that there's actually a continuum of racism that looks something like this. It's not like an either-or, but there's actually a continuum, all right? And on the far end of that continuum, over here, is active racist. All right, active racist. Now, very few people would, you know, label themselves like this. However, if I tell racist jokes or use racial slurs or harbor any kind of hatred toward a particular group because of their uh, race or their religion or their culture, that's where I am on my journey. And at some point in their lives, active racists were taught to be a hater. Uh, but Nelson Mandela reminds us that since people learned to hate, they can also be taught to Love. And if I call myself a Christ follower and I find myself at this point on the far end of the continuum, I can't stay there. I can't stay there. Jesus' close friend and follower, the disciple John, he wrote these words. Check this out in 1 John 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Pretty stern words from the apostle John. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You can't say you hate somebody and love God. If you love God, then you've got to love others. Those come together. And if I recognize myself in this description, the first step towards moving forward is admitting it. Admitting it. And John also reminds us we love. Why? Why do we love? Because he first loved us. And you see, as we grow closer to God, then what? He will teach us to love. See, the closer we get to God, the more he will teach us to love others. Well, the next point in that continuum, if you take a look at that, moving left to right, then, is passive racist. Passive racist. And if I had to guess, this is where I would say uh, many of us probably fall. Because we would never, you know, tell a racist joke or use a racial slur, but passive racism is often hidden. It's it's often hidden even from ourselves. Now, just kind of open yourself up to this for a minute, okay? Because I want to ask you... Have you ever thought to yourself, or maybe even said out loud something like, you know, I think people are just a little too sensitive to this whole race issue. You ever thought that to yourself, or maybe even said it out loud? You know, I think people are just a little too sensitive when it comes to race. Well, see, that statement right there can reveal a lack of empathy for people not like you who have endured or continue to to endure ongoing racial hurts. Or have you ever thought or said, uh, you know, you know, I don't, I don't actually even see race. You ever thought that, or maybe said that? I don't actually even see a race. Those of us who are not people of color might think that is a positive statement, and we we say that with the best of intentions. But you see how that can also be a passive racist statement that minimizes the value of diversity. Do you see that? I mean, God made many different ethnicities and races. Diversity is a gift from God. It's part of what makes our world an incredibly beautiful place. Or, how about this comment? Maybe you've said this, or thought this, or have heard someone say this. Uh, you know, I have worked hard to experience the success that I now enjoy. Now, that statement may be true, but I think it also can reflect a heart that doesn't appreciate the invisible jumpstart that many people who are not of color have had or the very real challenges that people of color do face in order to have the same opportunities as others. <laughs> I so appreciate John, the first gentleman in our video who shared what it was like for him in film school. And I got to confess to you, know when I, when I first opened up myself to learning about racism, I had to come to terms with the fact that to a certain degree, I was actually a passive racist. You know, I would never tell a racist joke or use a racial slur, but you know what? I just didn't give a whole lot of effort, really, to understanding racism. And so I could easily go through my day colorblind, you know, not really giving much thought to racial differences. I don't know, maybe some of you can relate. But you know, as as I've looked at this more and thought about this more and, and engaged in it more, I now recognize that as an example of white privilege, because here's the deal. People of color don't have that choice. See, unlike people of color or other minorities, I've never had to think about the fact that the color of my skin or um, the sound of my voice or maybe my last name could actually result in someone making assumptions about me that are completely untrue or question my intentions. And people of color have to live with that every single day. Does that make sense? See, the good news is this. See, research shows that these kinds of thoughts and actions can be unlearned. And that's why we think it's so important that we engage in these very difficult conversations. Most of us are not intentionally hateful, but we are all far from perfect. So our challenge, okay, is to accept that we all harbor biases, all right, to become aware of them, secondly, and then finally fight to unlearn them. Okay, let's move along to the continuum, okay? Because then we come to beginning bridge builder. All right. Beginning bridge builder. If I'm at this point, see what I do is I accept that when God created mankind, he created every person in his likeness and his image. And a beginning bridge builder is aware that, you know, these biases do occur. White privilege is real. And that the playing field of life isn't actually level. And if I'm at this point, I'm reading books and I'm watching movies and engaging in conversations to better understand that systemic racism does exist in our country, I'm intentionally building relationships with people of color, and I have more than one friend of a different color. And you see, beginning bridge builders, they're on this journey, and they know enough to know that they still don't know so much about what is involved and how much racial injustice still exists in our country. And then we have the final point on the continuum, and that's to be a bridge builder, a bridge builder. And you know, at this point on the journey, I have put a stake of conviction in the ground And I'm publicly using my voice and my influence to write systemic inequities that that continue to plague our society. I'm lobbying. I'm writing letters to Congress, helping others learn and grow in their understanding of racism. Bridge builders work alongside people of color as friends and allies. And if you're a white person, you know that even though you didn't actively participate in the historical acts that led to the injustices we see today... Truth is, we are part of the system and structures that continue to perpetuate those injustices simply because of the color of our skin. And we know we have a responsibility to be a part of lighting those wrongs and those injustices. So as you look at that continuum and you think about those descriptions, I think there's two questions that we have to ask ourselves. And one is this, where would I put myself on this continuum? Where would I put myself on this continuum? And then secondly, uh, what direction am I moving or am I standing still? Where would I put myself on this continuum? And then secondly, what direction am I moving or, if I'm honest, am I standing still? You see, wherever we find ourselves, I feel pretty confident in saying that all of us have some room to grow when it comes to following Jesus' example of being a bridge builder. Are you with me? I think we all have some room to grow, and we all struggle with racism in one way or another. And our hope is that community, that every one of us, we collectively can be moving to the right on this continuum. Because the road to racial reconciliation and racial justice is so emotionally charged, I think it's really easy to get stuck and and kind of become paralyzed almost because you're just not sure what to do. You don't want to say the wrong thing. And so what I want to do this morning is is wrap up with just a few suggestions to help us on our journey towards becoming bridge builders, okay? Just a few suggestions. You with me? All right. Tell you what, before we do that, let's just kind of all take a deep breath. I told you this was a pretty heavy topic. You with me? I'd like to. You're not up here talking. How about that? (laughs) On on three, let's breathe in. Ready? One, two, three. Breathe out. I said breathe out. Some of you are not breathing out. Please (laughs) breathe out. Okay, good. All right. Three suggestions. Okay. Here we go. Three suggestions. And I I really hope you will find to be practical as you step forward on this journey towards becoming a bridge builder. All right. First is this one. Okay. It's learn. Say learn. learn. Right. Learn. Okay. Yeah. Watch movies. Who here likes to watch a good movie? All right. Yeah. All right. Read books. Look out. Look for those that will challenge you to see life from a different perspective. Actually, if you look in your program, I think it's on the, the left panel, okay? Like the top article there has a few examples that we would recommend that could be helpful as you're moving on this journey towards growing as a bridge builder. Yeah, watch movies, read books, and no finding Dory is not on the list, okay? <laughs> Understanding the hardships of life as a fish does not count, sorry. All right, learn, all right? Second is listen. Say listen. Yeah. You know what? Most every person of color has a story to tell of how racism has touched their life. You know, we heard a few of those stories earlier. And there are many people in our church and in your life who would love to share their stories of pain, but would also love to share their dreams, what they'd love to see happen in the future. So we can learn, we can listen, and then finally we can lament, L-A-M-E-N-T. Say lament. Yeah, lament is a, a spiritual practice we don't talk about Often. To lament is really to to kind of passionately grieve something and appeal to God for his help. To passionately grieve something and appeal to God for his help. Our country has a horrible history of racism. And see, to truly stand beside our brothers and sisters of color, we need to sit in the pain of past and current racist systems. To grieve with them and pray for them for the kind of restoration that you see only God's love can bring. And this is really all about weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn. This is about love. This is about love. But think about that now, okay? I mean, just imagine who we could be. I mean, look around this room. There's going to be thousands of people gathering at community locations across Chicagoland today. Just imagine who we could be as a community of bridge builders and the difference that we could make. We asked some of our friends here at Community to share their hopes and dreams for us as a church. Here's what they said.
1: Heaven is just this wide variety of different races, creeds, and all that. And I really want us to resemble that. We are citizens of heaven, and we should act like citizens of heaven. I, I want us to be able to pull from each other's cultures and lives and hear and listen to each other's stories so we can make us complete Um, I remember when I was um, in college, my first year of college as well, um, that was my first time being introduced to different races and interacting with all these different races, meeting their families, seeing their culture. It made me a complete person. I really do feel that. I finally started living my life, and my life started at that point. And I think that it's the same thing here, that once we start to embrace each other's cultures, um, I feel like we would start to feel a little bit more whole and feel like that kingdom that God has always designed for us to be. That's what my dream is for here at Community Christian Church.
2: My hope for community is that we see each other the way God sees us. It's hard to love everyone, but God loves us. And uh, if we can just see the value in each individual and bridge those things that separate us.
3: My wish is that every community member would just... Do the blessed strategy with someone that's different than themselves so the blessed strategy has been well set up uh, it's working great within our church and uh, my sense of it is if people at community would just take stock and see have i done the blessed strategy period and if i have done it have i done it with someone else that is different than me culturally ethnicity family of origin just go ahead and do that it's pretty simple pretty easy and as we know pretty effective and i hope that that would be something that every community member in 2016 would go out and do, including myself.
0: I love how Eddie wrapped that up. Bless. What a great way to build a bridge. What a great way to build a bridge. Begin with prayer. Listen, eat, serve, tell your story. Now, I know that today's big idea is a challenging one, and this is stuff that's not easy to talk about, but I think that's why it was Jesus' last dying request. He knew it would be hard. His dying request was that we would be one. And as we wrestle with this in our own lives and as a community, I want you to think about this. Just think about this as well. Not only the impact, the difference that we could make, just think we could actually be the answer to Jesus' prayer. We could be the answer to his last dying request that we would be one. May we become one so that the world might come to know him. Let's pray. Father God, we come uh, to you uh, this morning. and uh, God, we're, we're saddened that our world, our country, and our city remain so divided. Father, we know that's not your dream for this world, so we confess the part that we've played in that. We come to you in all humility, uh, repenting of any racism or biases that we continue to harbor in our hearts. We ask for your forgiveness, God, for not coming along our brothers and sisters of any and every color and standing against injustices that have for so long not given everyone a fair chance. God, help us to listen, help us to learn, help us to love like you love. Help us to be bridge builders. We pray this in your name.
2: Amen.